Well, I hope everyone is finding ways to stay healthy and sane during this crazy time that we have been in. Uh, I know for my family, we've been getting outside, going for walks, uh, going for a run. Um, We've even learned how to play Monopoly on our phone because we all know how great Monopoly is for keeping relationships healthy. Uh, (laughs) But uh, it's been fun. We've enjoyed that. Uh, Another thing that we've enjoyed is a new TV series called The Chosen. Uh, And it's a wonderful new series about the life of Jesus. Now, a little disclaimer, it may not be appropriate for the little ones, at least the first episode. Um, And it does take quite a bit of liberties um, in telling the story of Christ. But I appreciate that because it gives a lot of backstory and it brings the story of the Gospels to life. And it helps you feel what it might have been like to to be a follower of Jesus, to see him heal a leper, to see a paralyzed man stand up and walk. I mean, it's no wonder that crowds followed him. It's no wonder that they gave gave up everything. They left their careers to follow this mesmerizing rabbi and teacher. You know, and as you're watching this, I, I think it's safe to say that when the disciples heard Jesus say to them that it's better for you that I go away, it's better for you that I ascend to heaven, I can only imagine that they are astonished. How could it be better that Jesus is ascending to heaven and we don't have Jesus in the flesh uh, here on earth? Because a Jesus on earth, that's a Jesus that you can touch. That's a Jesus you can see, you can talk to, that you can give a hug, that you can travel with and enjoy life with. Jesus in heaven is different. But Jesus did tell them, it would be better for you if I go away. Why? And how? Well, the scripture that was read for us this morning by Jessica, it ends with this phrase. It talks about Jesus who descended, he came down from heaven. He is the very one who, after his resurrection, he ascended higher than all the heavens. Why? In order to fill the whole universe. That's a big claim. Let that sink in. You see, if the universe could be contained in a Diet Coke can, if, if this, from the smallest atom particle in our world to the, to the farthest galaxy away from us, if all of that could be contained in here. Je- the claim is, by Jesus ascending to heaven, now he can fill the entire can. His presence can be in every place in the whole universe. If you remember from last week, heaven is not some place that's distant from us. It's the, other, it's the other dimension of God's creation. And it interlocks with earth. So when Jesus ascends to heaven, it's not like he's going away from us. He's going to the place where his presence can fill the whole universe. I like what uh, one hymn writer, Brian Wren, says. He says, Christ is alive, no longer bound to distant years in Palestine. He comes to claim the here and now and dwell in every place and time. That's what Jesus' ascension makes possible for us. So friends, you don't have to travel to Israel, to the Holy Land. You don't have to travel to a special church or to some holy place to encounter the presence of Jesus. You don't have to travel back in time to see Christ in the New Testament era, and you don't have to wait until you get to heaven to be with him. He is with us right now. So you don't have to go to a camp. 
You don't have to go to a revival. You don't have to go to a conference or a seminar. No, Jesus is present right here, right now. In him we live and move and have our being. So Jesus is present to you at all times, in all places, 24-7, 365. It's an amazing, amazing truth and promise. And I believe an image that Jesus gave us to help us picture this relationship that we have with him is that of the good shepherd. Jesus said he is our good shepherd. Look at Jesus' own words. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So Jesus says himself, he is the good shepherd. And and there's some amazing promises in here that I want to dive into um, about what it means for us for Jesus to be our always present shepherd. So I, I have three points. And they're all based on the fact that Jesus is our always present shepherd. So because Jesus is our always present shepherd, number one, we have an intimate relationship with him. We have an intimate relationship with our shepherd, our good shepherd, Jesus. Jesus said that the sheep listen to his voice. They know him. They follow him. They have intimate connection and fellowship with him. And so because Jesus ascended, now his presence is available to us. It's everywhere, and his spirit is in us. You know, the famous psalm, Psalm 23 by David, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. That's an amazing personal dimension to this. You know, our tradition and evangelicalism has often focused on the most immense truth that you, yes, you, can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, with the one who lived and taught in Galilee, the one who died on the cross and rose again. Yes, that one who reigns at the right hand of the Father now in heaven, you can have a personal, close, and intimate connection with him. It's, it's an amazing truth. You know, there's been some good pushback on that idea in the, in the last maybe few several years. Uh, the church has been reminded that uh, it's not just a personal relationship. You're, you're, we're saved into a community. We're saved into the body of Christ, and we need our brothers and sisters in the Lord. I mean, don't you feel that even more deeply in this season? how deeply we need the gathered body of Christ. But you know, even in spite of that pushback, we cannot forget how amazing and how needed the personal walk, the personal relationship with Jesus really is. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus said, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. You know, when I first committed my life to Jesus Christ, I was a 13-year-old kid, and this idea revolutionized my life. I grew up in a more liturgical tradition, and somehow I got the idea that the priests were the ones who were close to God. They were the holy ones. Uh, They kind of mediated the presence to God, to the people, and if you needed to get close to God, you should go see the priest. Uh, If you needed counseling or confession, uh, you should go see the priest. And then I heard a sermon at, at this camp. 
about how God wanted a personal and close relationship with me. And friends, don't let, don't let this pass over your head if you've heard this before. Jesus wants a personal relationship with you. Do you have it? Do you want it? How goes your walk with Jesus? See, this is what shepherds do. Shepherds cultivate a close connection with their sheep. So much so that the sheep know their shepherd's voice. And if a stranger were to call the sheep, literally, they would not respond to the stranger's voice because they know. They know the voice of the shepherd. And the shepherd walks closely with the sheep every day. He has to lead them to their food, to the green pastures. He has to lead them to their drink. That's, that's the still waters. And he has to lead them every day. And so they walk miles together across the wilderness to find what they need. And the sheep learn that they can trust the shepherd. They learn they can trust him. And the sheep, they know they cannot live apart from the close connection to the shepherd. So friends, this is the promise and the hope that we have. Our shepherd is always with us, all the time, everywhere we go. And so we have the ability to have a close walk with Jesus Christ. And that's one of the values at our church, actually, if I can remind you of the every series, one of our values at our church is everyone, everyone, everyone walking with Jesus. We want all of you to have a vibrant and daily relationship with Jesus, walking with your shepherd every day. That's our hope. That's our goal. So we, have to, so we begin by opening up our lives to this truth. That's a great promise. So because Jesus is our always present shepherd, we can have an intimate relationship with him. That's number one. Number two, it means that we have guidance in every situation. Because Jesus is our shepherd, we have guidance in every situation. Jesus said, my sheep will listen to my voice. That means he's speaking. That means he's guiding. means he's, he's speaking to them regularly. In fact, let me go back to the screen. I want to show you the famous Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord, notice the guidance. He makes me lie down or he settles me in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Notice it's all for his namesake. A shepherd's reputation depended upon how well that they could care for and provide the sheep. So God is staking his reputation on how well he shepherds us, how well he guides us. It's for his glory and for his name. And so we can bank on the fact that God wants to guide you. God wants to provide for you. God wants to make sure that you have the guidance that you need. But sometimes we doubt this, don't we? We feel distraught about the future. We feel distraught about... Uh, some decision we might have to make and we feel like God hasn't made it clear and we're, and we're wondering, is God going to guide me at all? What do I do? You know, James 1.5 says that if, if, we, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. And then James goes on to clarify that when you ask, you shouldn't doubt because we need to believe that our shepherd wants to guide us. And so we need to ask for wisdom without doubting without doubting. And we have to trust that wisdom and guidance will come 
in the way, in the timing, the timing that we need. It will come. But then we have to ask ourselves if we truly want the guidance. Uh, you know, have you ever been driving and guidance comes to you from maybe either the passenger seat or even worse, the back seat? You ever had that happen to you? And how do you like receiving that guidance? I mean, how many, how many marital arguments or family arguments have been started by someone guiding uh, them from the back seat or the, or the front seat? The truth is, we don't like receiving guidance most of the time. We kind of feel like we have things figured out. We kind of have our plans. We want to do what we want to do. But friends, we have to remind ourselves that to receive the guidance of the Lord is the most wonderful thing. It is the best thing. And if we want the guidance, we have to be committed to follow where and when and how the shepherd will guide. So we have to decide that we want to be guided, and then we have to decide that we're going to pay attention to the guidance that we or pay attention for the guidance. And I really believe that we severely underestimate how much guidance is available to us in Jesus Christ. You see, guidance isn't something that Jesus, our shepherd, just offers you from time to time. No, he is a shepherd who guides. This is what shepherds do. Shepherds guide the sheep regularly, daily. It's who they are. It's what they do. Jesus is a shepherd. That's who he is to you. And there is a tremendous amount of guidance that we could have if we would just pay attention. And, you know, I believe what Greg Boyd says here. It's a little bit of a long quote, but I think it's worth quoting. He says, most Western Christians aren't even aware that God is always speaking to us and trying to lead us. We are sheep, but we rarely, if ever, actually hear the voice of our shepherd. We are his body, but we rarely, if ever, actually hear from the head. We are his soldiers, but we never hear from our commanding officer. Instead, what do we do? We tend to live as functional atheists who are lords over our own life despite our profession of faith that Jesus alone is Lord of our life. See, we say that we believe Jesus is our shepherd, but do we actually pay attention for guidance? Do we listen to what the shepherd might be saying? You see, in order to receive this guidance, we have to live, not just believe, but we have to live as if he actually wants to guide us and is guiding us. Because that's the truth. We have a shepherd who's always with us and wants to guide and lead us through every day. So we have to be committed to paying attention because Jesus is always present. And we can have an intimate relationship with him and we, we will have guidance in every situation if we would just pay attention. And finally, number three, because Jesus is our shepherd, we have unshakable security. Unshakable security. It's the most solid foundation you could ever have in your life. Jesus said, My sheep will listen to my voice. I know them and they will follow me. I will give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. If you are in the good shepherd's hand, nothing can take you out of his grip, both now and into eternity. Let me tell you a story. When I was about seven or eight years old, my family uh, took a trip to Disney World in Orlando, Florida. 
and a new ride had recently been constructed, and I was excited because I was just tall enough. I mean just tall enough to go on this ride. And the ride was called the Tower of Terror. Great name for a ride at a children's theme park, don't you think? And the name, the Tower of Terror, describes my experience on the ride itself. Um, It's an accurate name. And the, the, the ride is, it's basically, it's an elevator that raises you up 200 feet in the air, and then it, it pulls you down faster than a free fall, uh, all the way back down to the ground. And uh, as we're waiting in line, it's kind of a scary experience because there's some backstory about these ghosts and these people who died, and so I'm like seven or eight years old, and as we're getting closer to the ride, I'm getting more frightened along the way. I can feel the terror and the anxiety rising within me. And we're getting very close to the front of the line. And I start asking my dad, Dad, I'm scared. Could could I just go back down to my mom? And my mom had enough sense to not come on the ride. And uh, actually, she was with my younger brother, who was like a a baby at the time. And uh, so I said, Dad, can I get out of this line? He says, no. (laughs) It's been about three hours. We've been waiting for three hours for this ride. No, you're going to be fine. You're going to be okay. So we eventually get onto the elevator and sit down in our, in, our, in our row. And to my terror, there are no seat belts on this thing. And I think 10 years after the fact, they wised up and now there's seat belts on this ride, but there's no seat belts. There's only a lap bar. And so we're sitting, on this, uh, we're sitting on the row and the lap bar comes down. I'm sitting next to my dad, who's a fairly big guy. And there's other big guys in this row, I think. And when it comes down, it hits them. Now I'm like 10 feet away from this bar. This thing is not going to do anything for me. And I feel like I am going to die on this ride. So the ride begins. And I'm, I'm, I'm going way up and I feel my body rising to the top. And I'm thinking, I am going to lose my life on this ride. And so, as, as soon as I start feeling this, I reach out for my dad, and I just try to get both my arms around him. And I think at this point, my dad has realized that I am terrified. So he takes his arm, my dad's a strong guy, and he, and he takes his arm, and I feel his strong arm just wrap around my whole body. And, as we're, and I'm still frightened, but I hear my dad saying, you're going to be okay. I got you. You're going to be fine. You know, I was still scared, but I knew and I could feel that my father had me and I was going to be okay. Friends, in the same way, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, he has you in his grip and you are going to be okay. You are going to be just fine. When you are in Jesus' grip, there is no fear. When you are in Jesus' grip, nothing can ultimately harm you. When you are in his grip, there is a security that is unshakable. There is a foundation that cannot be moved. You are protected by the power of God himself, you will make it. You will get through this. Your shepherd has you in his grip and nothing can snatch you out of his hand. What a promise that we have in Jesus Christ. 
That's why David could pray in Psalm 23. He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. We can walk through the most trying circumstances of life, and we don't have to be afraid because Jesus has us in his grip. He's with you. He is in you. You don't have to fear. He's got you. So friends, because Jesus is our always present shepherd, we can have an intimate relationship with him. We can have guidance in every circumstance, and we have unshakable security in him. Now, I think the most, I think the trouble with all of this for most of us is that we actually believe this. Most of you who are listening believe this, uh, but we don't actually experience it in our lives, right? It doesn't move from the head to the heart. It doesn't move from theory to practice. You see, even though Jesus' presence is always with us, his presence still must be sought. We still need to open our lives up to his presence We have to open the door of our heart up to him and allow him in to guide and to lead. I want to remind you that both scripture and church tradition commend us many tried and true ways for opening ourselves up to the presence of our shepherd. You know, things like reading the Bible and prayer and spiritual disciplines and communion and fasting and fellowship and singing and solitude and Sabbath and so on. These are all wonderful, wonderful things. And many of you already know their importance. So I remind you of that. But one, I believe there is one discipline that could have the most impact for you in bringing these ideas from your head and into your heart and into your actual life. And that is practicing the presence of Christ. Practicing the presence of Christ. I'm going to get to that, that first point in a second here. Um, this phrase, this probably comes as most well-known by a, uh, a guy who was a monk called Brother Lawrence, and he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And Brother Lawrence's idea was that he wanted to do everything as an act of worship and to keep the Lord on his mind all the day long, to, keep, to, have, to uh, practice God's presence everywhere he went. And his main job was washing dishes. And over time, he felt like he had this ongoing presence and relationship with God every day. And so I, I think there are three ways. There, there, a whole, many books are written on this subject itself, but I think that I'm going to commend to you at least three different ways that we can do this, and hopefully one of them you can grab onto and start putting into practice this week. And here's one idea. Number one, commit to doing everything you do as an act of worship. Commit to doing everything you do as an act of worship. Now, I wanna, actually, I want to stay by the screen here. Um, let me show you some scriptures that, come, that speak to this. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Notice there's an awareness. As I'm doing this, I'm doing it unto the Lord. Same thing in 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So that means as we're doing things, there is an awareness that we're, we're offering this up as an act of worship. So friends, in all, and this can transform all the things of your life into this rich experience of worship with God. As you're working at the office, as you're cooking, as you're cleaning, as you're doing the dishes, as you're parenting, as you're changing diapers, as you're reading a book, you can say things to the Lord. Like, I I offer this up to you as an act of worship. Lord, I want to do my best for you to bring you honor. This is the idea that Mother Teresa said that we can do small things 
with great love for God. Another way that we can practice the presence of God is that we can keep up regular conversation with God. All the day long, we can keep it going. Uh, Did you know that the word amen uh, means something like, let it be so, let it be done. I agree, let let what's prayed be done, I agree. So amen is not a way to say, goodbye, Lord, I'll, I'll talk to you later. It's not a way to, to close the conversation with God. It's not a way to hang up on God and say, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm done talking with you now. You know, and I confess that I've often used amen like that. But when we say amen, we are agreeing with the prayer. And it's a form of prayer in and of itself. And when we say amen, we're not closing the prayer per se. We're keeping the line open. We're keeping God on the line. Because the truth is, He hasn't gone anywhere. Jesus is right there. He's still with you in the room. He's still in you. So we can keep up this conversation. And one writer uh, whose name is Frank Laubach, he suggests to us that instead of talking to yourself, form the habit of talking to Christ and make all your thought life a conversation with the Lord. I think when people hear this, you might be, get, get overwhelmed with how hard that might be, but don't even worry about keeping up this practice uh, later today or over a lifetime. Only invite Jesus into your present right now. Right now, in this moment, he's present. Finally, one more idea. Practice Christ's present in, presence in your relationships. Practice his presence in your relationships. You know, when we love others, we're actually loving God. And every interaction we have is an opportunity to love God by how we love others. You know, this is what Mother Teresa did. She saw Christ in the poor, in the hurting, and she treated each person, no matter how difficult, as if they were Jesus himself. And what a life of worship she lived. And so we're practicing Christ's presence when we're aware of how much Jesus loves this person that he died for the person in front of me. And so we believe that and we need to remember that Christ is already at work in their life. And so every interaction, every, every place we go, everything that we do, we can be asking the Lord, God, how do you want to use me in this relationship? How do you want to use me in this interaction? And pay attention to how God might be working. I came across a prayer that I, th- I thought was just profound by a professor named Stephen Siemens. And it's basically a confession that says, Lord, you are here working. Use me. Do what you want to do through me to accomplish your purposes. And don't let me get in the way of what you're doing. It's the recognition. Jesus is present. Jesus is already at work. You don't have to show up to be the Savior. Just, Lord, I'm here. Use me. I'm listening. What can I do? So we can commit everything we do as an act of worship. We can keep up our our conversation with God throughout the day. And we can practice Christ's presence in our relationships with others. And friends, as I close the sermon this morning, I believe one person who knew that Christ was always present was St. Patrick of Ireland. And I want to close with a, a uh, a brief snippet of one of his prayers. He said, Christ with me, Christ before me. Christ behind me and Christ in me. Christ beneath me and Christ above me. Christ on my right and Christ on my left. 
Christ when I lie down. Christ when I sit down. Christ when I arise. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. Amen. Let it be so.